Coming up, we go along with musician-turned-author Tom Wilson as we talk about his book, Beautiful Scars. I thought that I was a very unique case of uh, somebody that saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show, grabbed a broom as a four-year-old, started playing it, and decided that he wanted to be a musician. I found out later, as I met more musicians, that everybody who ever had a guitar from my era saw the Beatles on TV, and it changed their life. Hearing uh, Oh, What a Feeling by Crowbar, and at the end of it, the DJ said, that was Hamilton's own Crowbar, and... As a maybe 10, 11-year-old kid, it was like, somebody from Hamilton can do that. Somebody from Hamilton can be on the radio. You see, I'm I'm primarily a fan. Most guys like Neil Young uh, don't have the, there's no way. You know who's going to hire Neil Young? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, okay, you can get this guy, you can get this Neil Young guy. It's like, no, not the Neil Young guy. Hey folks, welcome to the House of Krauss. I'm Richard Krauss. Come on in, cuddle up by the Christmas tree, perhaps grab a Negroni at the bar, and sit back and enjoy the conversation as it flies through the air. This year, one of my favorite afternoons was spent sitting around the old electronic fireplace with Tom Wilson. Now, you know his music, perhaps from Blackie and the Rodeo Kings, maybe from Junk House, from his other band, Lee Harvey Osmond. You've seen him play live. You know all the songs. Now learn about his story. He's written a book called Beautiful Scars, Steel Town Secrets, Mohawk Skywalkers, and The Road Home. We already know from listening to his songs that he's a fantastic storyteller. You're about to hear some of that here. But when you read the book, you learn about a life that is drawn towards the artistic side of life, towards being a musician, a writer, a painter. But you'll also find some revelations, and I'm not going to give them away here in the introduction. You'll have to listen to the interview to find them, and then read the book. Uh, But he had some things happen later in life, in his 50s, that changed everything for him. Unexpected life lessons, unexpected revelations. Uh, This is really, really compelling stuff in the book is really compelling. It made the Globe and Mail's most anticipated list. It delves into his youth about growing up on the East Mountain in Hamilton and much, much more. Enough of me talking. This is Tom Wilson talking about his book, Beautiful Scars, Steel Town Secrets, Mohawk Skywalkers, and The Road Home. I saw you a little while ago at Massey Hall, uh-huh. and as you were telling stories between the songs, I thought, why hasn't this guy written a book? And then a little while later, I get the press release saying that you've written a book. And uh, tell me what sort of pushed you towards that. Uh, well, uh, first of all, I was I was telling this story to the universe for the very first time, and I was telling it in real time. Um, when I say that, uh, the book was part of the process of... Like so, as a reader, I think that you're hopefully engaged in things being revealed to me about my life Mm -hmm. that hopefully you think is interesting enough to be reading about. (laughs) Um, uh, So uh, uh, the book kind of found me. You know, you got to be ready for you know you're never ready. Actually, let me rephrase that. You're never ready for what's coming at you in life, and we all experience you know, things that resonate with us and things that jar us and things that change our direction. And uh, that's, that's, I think, what uh, this book is a part of. We're going to get to some of those revelations a little bit later. We don't want to give away too much about no. what's in the book, but you've talked 
openly about this, but you had some revelations about your life that came a little bit later in life yeah. uh, for you. But I want to first get just to the sort of the nuts and bolts of writing this. So you've written, I don't know, thousands of songs, yeah. that hundreds, at least yeah. probably thousands of songs, uh, thousands of songs. Heard by hundreds. <laughs> and so you're, you write about personal things in your songs, but I imagine it's different to put it down when it's actually your life and you're stamping your name on it and said, this is my life. Well, uh, yeah, there's no, uh, there's no disguising it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, uh, you have to, you have to come face to face with, with the words that you're writing. And, uh, it was an experience. I, I, I joked earlier to my to my editor that I'm saving hundreds of thousands of dollars in therapy <laughs> by, by writing this book when in fact, uh, uh, just like therapy, uh, it never stops. You never stop, uh, uh, uncovering yourself. And that's what this is. So what's the difference then between sitting down and writing a song and sitting down and writing a book? Obviously there's a difference in time and that sort of thing, but does it use a different part of your brain? Well, there's, there's the boring mechanics of being an artist, you know, which, uh, I, I actually, you know, whether you're walking on stage or writing songs or I'm also, I also paint. Mm-hmm. I had a painting in the national gallery last year, which was that was a big deal for me. That's Absolutely. why I actually, that's why I just said it. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, writing those words, uh, you know, uh, I've been calling this a 70,000 word love letter, um, to the people who, who made things possible for me. Um, and so, uh, I don't, I didn't really find that much of a difference. Like I say, the mechanics of the creative world is you, uh, you know, there's no magic in, in, you know, you write, you know, that it's just yeah. comes down to work. Yeah. Th- if you sit around waiting for bolts of inspiration, you'll mm-hmm. be sitting around for a long time. Oh yeah. yeah. And I mean, uh, uh, our job as artists is, is to be able to, you know, uh, it's not to, uh, receive bags of money in the back of a Brinks truck, you know, <laughs> or, or astronomical fame, uh, tr- as an artist, or if you're trying to be an artist, it's to be able to create the next day. That's what you're really doing. You keep creating so that you can continue to create because it's, uh, it's so much a part of who you are and, and fulfills you in so many ways that that's the goal to your happiness. When did you first realize that? Because I don't think that was self-evident right away for you. Well, I knew that I wanted to be a musician when I was four. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Bunny, Bunny Wilson, uh, the woman who raised me, uh, introduced me to uh, Nat King Cole and uh, uh, Glenn Miller Records and, and uh, Ray Charles. And uh, those are the first uh, things that resonated with me musically and uh, things that I understood. And then, of course, uh, I was four years old and the Beatles were on the Ed Sullivan show. (laughs) Now, this is the thing. For probably most of my life, I thought that I was a very unique case of... Uh, somebody that saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, grabbed a broom as a four-year-old, started playing it, and decided that he wanted to be a musician. I found out later, as I met more musicians, that everybody who ever had a guitar from my era saw the Beatles on TV, and it changed their life. But what I saw there was, was um, the I, I, I kind of saw the joy of, of communication and creation, and, and, uh, and I never really wanted to do anything else except communicate 
uh, right be an artist. I had uh, I had uh, child childhood dreams about that, and I never let the world take that away from me. Uh, I also say that if I walked out, what streets out here, Richmond? Yeah, Richmond. If I walked out on the Richmond Street now and got hit by a bus, I don't even know there's buses out there, but you know, I, you'd I, be I, more likely to be hit by a bicyclist I on our ha- new bike lanes. If yeah. I got hit by a cyclist and died, uh, right now I would die uh, doing exactly what I planned to do with my life. And at four years old, you said the joy of communication means something to you, and it was the thing that kind of grabbed you. But what was it? What, what does a four-year-old see in Ray Charles or Nat King Cole or Benny Goodman, whatever? You, you know, um, I, th- I think I saw the same things, even though I couldn't articulate it. You know, we want to find artists that we can go to the moon with. Yeah. We want to find artists that we can cherish and that we can follow. Uh, and artists that give us open the doors to possibilities and i think that hearing those records especially nat king cole Mm. records was uh the brilliance of uh possibilities you know to a four-year-old kid or to a 40-year-old you know person it doesn't matter and that's really uh to me what creating art is about is opening if i if i can you know open the doors of possibilities or make it feel like you know that guy can do it you know, I can do it. Then that—that—that's the job. It's also a big part of the job, and I always wanted to do that. I think everyone finds their their artist. My dad was Bing Crosby. Yeah. My brother's generation, a little older than me, was Jimi Hendrix. For me, it was sort of Elvis Costello. That first yeah. album, My Aim Is True, sounded like the record I'd been waiting to hear my entire life. Well, we got the glasses. We do. We have yeah. the. the we I have know. The and, big and you know. Glasses. You know. Uh, I, I've talked about my my aim is true before because the needle drop on now that your yeah, picture's man. in the paper being rhythmically admired. Which is a line that I didn't understand for a long time. Still don't. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter. Loved it. And and, and it was also uh, in that era, I remember uh, picking up the first Ramones record yep. and, because I needed to hear what, what was going on and I couldn't believe what that punk rock Elvis Costello, these were artists that opened the doors of possibilities because you know what? You didn't have to be able to play guitar yeah. like the Eagles or, you know, you didn't have to sing like, I don't know, Steve Perry. Yeah, from... he didn't have a pretty voice. He didn't, no, yeah. all you needed was an idea and uh, the ability to be able to get an instrument in your hand. And it was really the heart of the artist came out during that era because you didn't have to be a great technician. You just had to have... A good idea. Yeah, and the passion to do it. Yeah. And I think you were probably influenced by another Hamilton band, and I want to talk about Hamilton. This show is heard across the country, so I'm going to give you to get us a little primer on, yeah. on, on Hamilton. But Teenage Head. Yeah, man. I would imagine, because that was a band that you could see and touch, and, and it would make a difference to your life, right? They were like a uh, wild pack of wolves yeah. with electric guitars yeah. and drums and... Uh, there was nobody like them. Uh, uh, I actually write in the book that there, nobody played guitar like Gord Lewis, mm. north of Johnny Ramone. You know, yeah. and uh, that band, uh, that band is a heartbreak story. Um, that band should be a movie. You know, yeah. it, it, it should, there's many things that go along with that band that is like the underdog man. And where I'm from, in Hamilton, in that era. We were the underdog. So to see somebody uh, be able, their heads to be able to 
get up above the crowd, you know, was thrilling. It, it opened the door of possibilities. The same way uh, driving in Bunny Wilson's Austin Mini up the jolly cut <laughs> and hearing on CKOC, and maybe it was Chum. We're in the Chum building. We I are, think. Yeah. yeah. Let's just say it's Chum. Yeah, the, uh, the big sign's just yeah. around the corner, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, maybe Chum turning on and hearing uh, Oh, What a Feeling by yeah. Crowbar, and yeah. at the end of it, the DJ said, that was Hamilton's own crowbar. And as a maybe 10, 11-year-old kid, it was like, somebody from Hamilton can do that? Somebody from Hamilton can be on the radio? You see, I'm, I'm primarily a fan. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's, that's, I'm a fan. I mean, I, I got guitars signed by people that meant something to me that I've worked with. So I've got like Levon Helm and Buck Owens wow. and Merle Haggard and anyone that I've, I've toured with or anything. I'm still a fan. So... I was a fan uh, of of Hamilton music. It was real to me. And Teenage Head, to me, changed. Uh, there's nobody. Um, I've never seen a, a greater front man than Frankie Venom. And that's why guys like me and Gord Downey and uh, Hugh Dillon, you know, would just stand at the front of the stage gawking at Frankie Venom. He was uh, so electric. We should uh, tell people, if they don't know about Hamilton, what do people in Victoria, B.C. need to know about Hamilton? Uh, well, I believe uh, uh, the French Connection was hatched on Railway Street in Hamilton yeah. uh, by uh, a, a local uh, mobster named uh, Johnny Papalia, who was known as the enforcer in the mob. Now, the thing about Hamilton, you see, Hamilton got everything because it was between Toronto and Buffalo. Mm -hmm. So it got Billie Holiday playing at Hanrahan's on Barton Street across from the Barton Street Jail and and uh, Duke Ellington and uh, uh, Count Basie exactly. and all wow. those people would come through. And just as a footnote to that story, um, because uh, they, they couldn't stay at the Royal Cannot. They mm -hmm. couldn't get a hotel room, so they ended up staying with a musical family in Hamilton, the Washington family, and the late Brian Griffiths. Brian Griffiths is a guitar player that's from that musical family. He ended up playing guitar with Willie Nelson, and uh, I mean, he said one of the greatest things, by the way. He was getting in a, on a, in a limousine to go do the David Letterman show, and as nobody in his family had ever, you know, gotten yeah. that And he said, as he got in the limousine, he brought... He brought the spirits of his uncles, his uncle Jack, yeah. you know, everybody with him. Very moving, very moving. But but he would wake up in the middle of the day, uh, middle of the night, and Billy Holiday would be sitting in their kitchen, you know, <laughs> eating, eating uh, breaking and eggs and drinking whiskey, you know what I mean? So, so that was, Hamilton had that transient yeah. uh, entertainment going through. It also had, you know, probably uh, heroin and uh, stolen goods going through it too, you know. I, 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 as an observer, as a kid growing up in Hamilton at that time, I, I keep thinking, oh, you know, I'm blowing this up out of proportion. And then when I talk to people that I grew up with on my street, they say, oh yeah, man, they, like, they talk quite openly about that. And it, well, and you could live anywhere. You choose to stay in Hamilton. Yeah. What is the magnet? What's the draw? Well, uh, my life is there, you know, yeah. my, my kids, uh, my grandsons are there. So, you know, that's, that's my life. Um, but I've, I've always found it completely inspiring. I've never really written songs about, you know, Memphis or New Orleans yeah, yeah. or Paris or London or anything like that. I've written about Hamilton. So I remember the first time, I think uh, it was in Germany, and uh, Junkhouse was over there. We were being interviewed by a Rolling Stone. 
and I actually got a little emotional because the guy was asking me questions about, you know, the Skyway Bridge and Burlington Street and Steel Companies, the TH&B railway line and the Hamilton Escarpment, you know. He wanted to know about those things because that's what I wrote about. Right. I wrote about the streets of my city and the characters that inspired me. And uh, it's the same way, you know, when Van Morrison sings about Cypress Avenue, you know, there's this beautiful imagery that we get, this romance in the words and in the melodies. And I, I don't even know, you and I don't know what maybe what Cypress Avenue yeah. looks like. But you in our, in in our imaginations, we've been there, you know. And uh, uh, that, was, that was one of the greatest compliments I've ever had is somebody on the other side of the planet asking me about the THNB railway line. Hamilton, Toronto, Buffalo. That is Toronto, yeah. Hamilton, Buffalo, yeah. And it's a tough town. And I think that influences the music that's come out of it, perhaps the art that's come out of it. Yeah, uh, I think that we maybe are uh, realistic. The same way that I find Winnipeg, Manitoba, is, yeah. is a re uh, they cultivate realistic <coughs> artists, uh, artists that live, uh, actually live and breathe on, on the streets of their, their city. They're uh, maybe not as influenced as, uh, like somebody, uh, an artist, great artist from Toronto, you know, it's like you don't look over your shoulder and see, you know, six more of you coming up the yeah, street, yeah. you know, yeah. you're, you're really a standalone. And as a result, the art that you create is, uh, is uh, away from the pack. Look at someone like Guy Madden making films in Winnipeg Guy Madden, that are it. completely unlike anything else that Nothing you've ever seen. like it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, uh, uh, I watched, I remember lying on a couch at a friend's apartment watching my Winnipeg. Yeah. And after, at the end of the, I don't smoke dope, but I felt really stoned after that movie. <laughs> I'll tell you that. My guest in the studio is Tom Wilson. The book is called Beautiful Scars, Steel Town Secrets, Mohawk Skywalkers, and The Road Home. I think that there's something to be said for places that uh, are just a little bit outside of the mainstream. So I was telling you off mic, I grew up in Nova Scotia. Yeah. And there was a, a point in the sort of late 80s when somebody, Harper Magazine, I don't know who it was, wrote an article that said the coolest kids in the world are from Lunenburg because they are completely <laughs> unaffected by trends, pre-internet. Pre they yeah. had to make their own style. They had to make their own thing. And I think that's what happens when you grow up in a place that you can feel just singular. Yeah. Uh, you, see, you see it all over. I mean, yeah. uh, when you talk about New York City, you know, New York City is has, has been the... No, if not the birthplace, it is a, uh, it is cultivated great artists, but mm -hmm. not many of them are from, you know, not all of them are from New York. Yeah, you know, yeah, Bruce yeah. Springsteen's not from New York. Lou Reed is not from Manhattan. He's from Staten Island. You know, um, uh, Bob Dylan, you know, came from Minnesota. You know, Charlie Parker. You know, Miles Davis, uh, John Coltrane. These people came from smaller communities where their minds were allowed to breathe and, and take in basically different air, yeah. you know, and the sun came up and went down a little differently than it did in major, major centers. You say, or you have said in interviews, being an artist is like being in a bar fight. Oh well, yeah. What does that mean? It means that, uh, surviving as an artist, uh, the world will tell you, um, that it's impossible to survive as an artist, you know, because that's what makes the world, you know, comfortable. And and working as an artist, you're not really working in the uh, parameters of, of the rest of the world, you know. You're making it up as you go along, yeah, yeah. which, by the way, making it up as we go along is what we all do. We don't know how to be parents, mm -hmm. you know. We just do our best, our version, you know, of what it is 
supposed to be, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but the bar fight um, uh, thing is uh, that uh, it's survival. So if you've ever been in a bar fight, you know, you could lose your life. That's how you feel, you know. You, you know, And the worst thing you can do is, is, is get too excited, you know. Um, so you've got to be calm. And you got to reach for whatever it is to take the other guy out, you know, whether it's a chair or a bottle or, or whether you're going to run the hell out yeah, of there, yeah, yeah. you know, it's all about survival. And that's what it's like being an artist because, uh, it's, it's not, you know, I, I don't own a beret. <laughs> uh, I would like to own a cape. Yeah. My daughter keeps talking me out yeah. of a cape, but I feel a cape, uh, I, I'd like a cape. I think that could work for you. Yeah. But uh, so <laughs> besides the cape. Um, you know, surviving as an artist has nothing to do with posing. It has to do with getting your, getting your knuckles bruised and your hands dirty. Was there a moment when you realized it was going to work? That which was going to work? That, that you'd be, that you, you could have a creative life and make a living at it. Like, was there something that happened one moment where you said, oh man, this is working out. This is actually going to happen. Uh, yeah, well, um, n no, not really. Did I ever think this was really going to happen? Um, I, I don't, is I there a progression? Is it just a slow progression then? Yeah, it's a slow, it's, 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 uh, it's figuring out that, you know, uh, I would rather do some painting mm -hmm. and sell some paintings and I would rather write some songs for other people sometimes and myself. I'd rather go out and do all the, all the things that add up to my creative life are, is what I use yeah. to, to survive, right? So I don't get a job at, uh, you know, Fortino's grocery store in Hamilton. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't get a, you know, I did have jobs. I've had two jobs in my life. And, what, are, and what were they? Uh, one of them was, uh, uh, well, first of all, driving a construction truck around, uh, delivering drywall and interior uh, construction supplies to sites around Hamilton. They gave me a giant truck. <laughs> and, uh, well, we were stoned most of the time we were doing that job, which is, I can't even, th you know, by the way, also about writing this book, I don't even recognize the guy in parts of that book, well, you know. I was I'm... going to talk about that. Well, let's, let's, okay, so one job, we'll, we'll get back to that. So, so one the construction job, job which yeah. was, you know, com fantastic because uh, um, uh, Jim Pollock, uh, his son was the light man for Teenage Head. And uh, as a result, uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the guys doing the job that I was doing were <laughs> was Steve Mann from Teenage Head, right, Ralph yeah, yeah. Nicole, who's a, a psycho Billy, uh, Salunatic uh, from Hamilton, and other you know road crew guys. It was basically a bunch of musical music musicians and, and hangers on and workers that were working at this construction company. The place was a mess. I have no idea how it stayed in business. <laughs> Well, I live near uh, what used to be a Coles bookstore. Uh, it's now uh, it's under construction, like everything else in Toronto. But that's the only job that Neil Young ever had outside of playing a guitar. Was in Coles? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's yeah, a good yeah. job. Yeah, you stock books. Stock books, right? Yeah. There you go. You see, uh, uh, most most guys like Neil Young uh, don't have the. There's no way. You no, know, who's going to hire Neil Young? Yeah, you know <laughs> what I mean. It's like, okay, you can get this guy, you can get this Neil Young guy. It's like, no, not the Neil Young guy. <laughs> get him out of here. So you said that writing uh, beautiful scars, you don't recognize yourself through a lot of it. No. Why not? Well, because. Uh, you know, uh, all the cells have changed. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I, uh, you know, the the I write about it in the book. I'm 18 years clean and sober. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean that that's a life changer. You know, I. Uh, I uh, Was that the best thing you ever did? It's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty close. 
the uh, emotionally, I had some catch up to do. You know, I had, I had to be do some catching up because when you when you are um, when you're raised when you when you're always suspect that you're in the wrong place. You know, Bob Dylan. Somebody said, you know, you're not always born in the place you're supposed to be. And I felt that way from the time I was preschooler. I felt like I was in the wrong place, man. This is. I had no idea how I, I arrived there. So the struggle, um, and it's not a sob story, just the struggle is, is figuring out who you are and where you're from most of your life, you know, which we all go through as men, yeah. you know, in our 20s, we're all trying to, you know, be something cool or smart or smart and cool, preferably, <laughs> you know, in our 30s, you know, we're, we're, we're struggling as men. And in our 50s, we finally arrive to realizing, hopefully, uh, that we can only be who we are. And uh, in the writing of this book, uh, I could only be who I was and I could only remember what I remembered the way I remembered it. I can only tell my side of the story. And a lot of my upbringing, a lot of what I saw, and a lot of my observations about Hamilton came from Bunny Wilson because she was basically my commentator for, you know, uh, defining what was going going on in the world, which was often uh, confusing, okay? Um, So I don't recognize uh, the man, uh, the stages that I went through. I know know what I did. I know who I was. I even can feel uh, the pain, you know, from from different uh, eras of my life, but I don't really recognize that person anymore. Your life has been documented, though, through music videos, through more yeah. photographs than, you know, probably the average person had taken of them throughout that period. You know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> before everyone had a cell phone and was taking 500 selfies, you know, on stage, you know, photo shoots, that sort of thing. You're, you're documented. Do you look at that stuff and recognize that guy? Uh, no, that's just part of the sideshow. Yeah. Right? You know, that wasn't really, that uh, making videos, you know, that didn't have anything really to do with who I was. Yeah, you, yeah. Know, I, I, you know, I I, can actually say that I was I was working on surviving most of the time, you know. I, I feel that uh, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually breathing yeah, finally. Yeah. At 58, I yeah. can actually take a deep breath. Yeah, it, sometimes it takes longer to figure out oh, yeah, than you'd I'm like, a, but I'm when you get there, it's learner, good. learner, man. Yeah. So... There are revelations in this book, mm-hmm. and you've talked about them publicly before, but you didn't know for a very long time uh, who your real mother was. No, no. Well, 53, I found out that um, Bunny and George Wilson, uh, who raised me, my mother and father, I found out they weren't my my mom and dad. Well, and it's interesting because early in the interview, earlier on in the interview, yeah. you said Bunny Wilson, the woman that raised me. Yeah. You didn't say my mother. Yeah, I know. It's tough. Listen, uh, the book is coming out. Uh, the book's written. Yeah. The book's been beautifully edited, cover, but the story's still going on. Yeah. And also uh, the challenges that I have uh, defining, you know, maybe maybe in two years I'll be calling Bunny my mother again, you know, but it's all part of the process. My my, I found out not only that but Bunny and George weren't my mother and father, but I also found out that the woman who has acted as my cousin, who still acts as my cousin, mm-hmm. is actually my mother. And, uh, and that's, uh, you know, for her, she lived, she lived a life keeping that mm-hmm. story intact. 
she can't change that. She's 76, 77 years old. You know, you're not going to retrain her. So one of the first things I said, I was driving her home from a birthday party. Now, this is the matriarch of our family. She sits at the head of the table for Thanksgiving and Christmas, et cetera, and all the kids' birthday parties, and I'm driving her home. And I didn't really know. A couple of years before that, I found out that I was adopted. And I and you know what, Tom? I'm going to interrupt you there because we're out of time. Then we'll, we're going to pick this up on the other side of the break. Stay, yep. stay with us. Tom I'll Wilson pick, yeah. is my guest. The book is called Beautiful Scars, Steel Town Secrets, Mohawk Skywalkers, and The Road Home. Uh, you want to hear the rest of the story, please stay with us. <laughs> I had to rudely cut you off in the middle of what is a very important story yeah, for you. Probably probably the, the most important part of this interview. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the most important part of your life, maybe even. And I'm like, nope, hey, we got commercials. So you're driving home from a birthday party with a woman that you think is your cousin. Well, she's cousin Janie. She's mm-hmm. been my cousin Janie. She's been around me uh, my entire life. And as I said, she's a matriarch of our family. And uh, everybody knows her as Janie. And where's Janie? It's not a, it's not a family. I decided to break down and mention something about the fact that, uh, that I found out I was adopted. And that's what I said to her. I said, Janie, you know, I found out a couple of years ago that mom and dad weren't my mom and dad. And if you ever feel comfortable telling me anything about that because you were really close with them, you know, let me know, let me know. I'd love to know something about this. And she just turned to me and she said, uh, Tom, I don't know how to tell you this, and I'm sorry, but I'm your mother. So that was another, that was two years after finding out I was adopted, found out that Cousin Janie is actually my mother. Um, my research at that time led me to a family in Ganawage, a reserve outside of Montreal, uh, and, uh, and I met, I grew up an only child and I met six of my brothers and sisters a couple summers ago. Yeah. So that, that was quite a revelation. Also, you know, gr- uh, growing up thinking I was a kind of a puffy, sweaty, uh, Irish guy my whole life. I find out that I'm actually a puffy, sweaty Mohawk guy. Yeah. You're you an indi- you have indigenous roots and has that, what has that done? That revelation done? What does that mean to you? Well, I, it's, uh. As I said, you know what? You, you have no control over what comes at you. Right. Best thing you can do is uh, just keep your hands on the wheel and uh, stay true. Stay, keep your heart open and things will come. And the, uh, the culture, the Mohawk culture is coming to me at its own time. And Mohawk culture moves very, very slowly. So uh, I'm, it's approaching me. I can feel it approaching me. It's, it's something that I'm not racing into. It's not like I'm racing into a burning building, you know what I mean? Uh, this is coming to me. And it's, I feel that the Mohawk culture is being very respectful to me in its approach to me. And so I'm going to be very respectful to it. So I don't try to, you know, I'm not like, excuse me, but not like some white guy running out, going to uh, sweat lodges and, you know, burning sage and stuff. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm way more, I feel more grounded. I'm not searching for something. I feel something searching for me. And was that difficult to write about or was it a catharsis of, of, of sorts writing about the revelations that have kind of changed your life and changed your outlook perhaps? Well, it, it, some of the things uh, are what I was not a part of. You right. got to understand uh, uh, that I, I've been in the middle. I've been in no man's land 
basically like the first world war. I've been in no man's land. I've been between two worlds my entire life. Growing up at 162 East 36th Street was what I was told I was. Yeah. And yet uh, I had a family back in Ganawage in another world, you know? So I feel that was always, you know, I'm from, I am from Hamilton, remember. I'm yeah. about coffee and cigarettes. <laughs> and I'm not very mystical and magical, but I do feel that uh, that the reserve was calling me my entire life. And when I finally went back there, you know, all, all the ghosts came to life that were talked about around my kitchen table. And the art of the kitchen table is uh, is a beautiful place to for storytelling. I remember playing under the kitchen table with my you know matchbox cars and stuff, and hearing names like Sonny Lazar, yeah. always stories about he was who is my great uncle. And uh, two summers ago, my kids and I went up there and met Sonny Lazar, and it was he was the man that wanted to raise me on the reserve. He said, you know, you would have been a great lacrosse player. <laughs> You would have been in the cigarette business. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, that and also uh, meeting my brothers, you know, my brother Kyle. You know, I, I think about what I was doing uh, uh, during the Oka crisis, you know. I remember well, reading the Globe and Mail and listening to it on uh, local radio. Mm -hmm. My brothers, Christopher and Kyle, were making out their wills and taking arms and going into the woods and going to fight a war that they didn't think they were coming home to their families from. That's heavy shit. Yeah. Um, also, uh, my brother Kyle was in the front lines along with two other, 200 other Mohawks from Ganawage who were clearing uh, Ground Zero um, at 9-11. They were the guys that were, uh, were making way. Yeah. So the firing, because they were the guys that built it. My uncle Walter was the guy who put the antenna up on the top, uh, you know, one of the guys, yeah. he worked 10 years on the World Trade Center and he put the antenna up. And as my brother Kyle was clearing stuff, he said, he said, it, I came across something. We looked and it was like this giant rocket was in the middle. They didn't know, it was like a missile or a rocket. And it took him a minute and he realized he was staring at Uncle Walter's antenna that was lying in the wow. burning rubble of 9-11. Wow. Wow, I, it, it, it must, I can't even imagine as a 56-year-old man meeting a, an entire extended family that you knew nothing about. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. <clears throat> it was, uh, there's a lot of, uh, when I say being in the middle, it's, yeah. you're surrounded by a lot of, a lot of, a lot of ghosts, a lot of spirits, a lot of storybook stuff. So as a result, you look inward for your strength. And I think that uh, a, a lifetime of, of looking inward and working that stuff out prepared me for me coming face to face with brothers and sisters. Has it changed the kind of art that you do? The book is something new, but the painting, the songwriting, is any of that different than it was three years ago, four years ago? It's evolving, you know. I mean, our uh, the human the human experience and our condition inspires us as artists. And uh, I, I feel it evolving. I just wrote a record. I'm recording with Michael Timmons from the Cowboy Junkies with, uh, with a bunch of great people. And I'm finding that the writing is definitely still in the book groove, you know. Yeah. I'm writing about being, I was born a Mohawk baby. Now I'm a Mohawk man. It took me 53 years to become 
a Mohawk man. You know, that's, uh, that's worth writing about. I'm speaking with Tom Wilson. The book is called Beautiful Scars, Steel Town Secrets, Mohawk Skywalkers, and The Road Home. Beautiful Scars, the title, where did that come from? Uh, I just, uh, it, was, it was part of uh, being an artist or a musician in your 50s. I called an album Beautiful Scars mm-hmm. because I felt that, uh, um, uh, you know, the, uh, the digs and the chips and the uh, scratches and, you know, we can turn, uh, or I used to say that the chip on my shoulder has served me <laughs> well, <laughs> you know. It's not necessarily a chip on my shoulder that I carry anymore. It's, uh, it's more, uh, you know, I'm, I'm putting the scars forward. And, and the rewards that we get with, uh, with putting our heart out there is I've never, I've never experienced this before. I've been playing music all my life, you Mm -hmm. know, and nobody, nobody at, at, at my, at my publisher at at Random House said, you know, uh, really good, you know, but we need something for radio here. You know, we just need, we need something, (laughs) we need something, you know, with about a, you know, a 20 second intro and then, then the the hook. hook. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so none of that was going on. So it's like, wow, you can just really rest with the, with your words, you know, you can go to sleep with a, with your ideas and wake up with uh, new ideas and, and you don't have to be, you know, under that kind of pressure or, uh, Unneeded pressure. How's yeah. that? Because that has nothing to do with being uh, an artist. So you, I, you know what? It, there's a lot of. Uh, I'm a little more pure. I feel than I was uh, six years, five years ago. Are there lessons to be learned from this book, or is it is it the story of your life, and and it's out in the world and for people to enjoy? Or do you want people to take something away from it? I think. Uh, I think I've been doing all this long enough to know that I can't control what people are going to take away from it. You yeah, know? yeah. And uh, I have no control over whether people are going to like it or not. It uh, is, is, when I talked about that purity a minute ago, it's like that's the expression that you're putting out there. So it's, your hands are off it. I'm shocked at what I wrote. Are you? I lie awake at night in complete anxiety, rolling around fetal position and, and why and I'm a big guy <laughs> and 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 why is that what what's the anxiety from? because when you I feel like I've pulled down my pants and shown my arse yeah. to the world or anybody who picks up a book and the thing about pulling down your pants in public is that you can't stand there alone with your arse out you got to pull <laughs> someone else's pants down right and I feel that um not aggressively, but I've also pulled down some other people's pants, and uh, that's it's hard to go to sleep. It's it, you know I was going to say it's hard to live with. It's actually just hard to get to sleep. It's hard to get to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think people are going to love this book. I think that people will respond to the honesty in it. I think that they will respond to the story because I don't think that your story, while it is very unique in a lot of ways, uh, is kind of universal. I imagine bingo. Yeah, bingo. Because I've been talking about this. Um, well, I joked. I I I got this I got this uh, uh, book uh, deal. Yeah. To, with uh, with Random House, and my joke was for the first year, all of the writing I did was signing my name on the advance check, right? <laughs> and one one day, I just woke up uh, and thought, "Holy shit! I better <laughs> I better write something down, right?" Uh, what was the question? Well, just uh, how it's universal. And you know what? We're, we're, we're out of time. But I do think that this book will benefit people from having a look at it because while your story is specific, there is a universality to it. There's lots of people out there that didn't know they were adopted. The, that was the point. Yeah. Because I've had bikers 
crying in lobbies in theaters in Winnipeg saying, I know your story. And every night I talk about this, somebody says, my mother, my uncle, do you know I found out a few years ago that my sister was my mother. It is a thread that runs through our society and we all carry these beautiful scars. That was Tom Wilson talking about his book, Beautiful Scars, Steel Town Secrets, Mohawk Skywalkers, and The Road Home. Listen to that guy's voice. Hear the way that he tells a story, the, the grace and the insight that he brings to it all. Someone, give him a podcast. Let him write another book. Do something. In the meantime, read his book, Beautiful Scars. You will not be disappointed. He brings a sensitivity to it. He brings a great deal of humor to his life story. This is really great stuff. It deserved to be on the Globe and Mail's most anticipated list, and it should be one of your most anticipated presents under the Christmas tree this year. As much as I enjoyed talking to Tom Wilson, and I could have talked to him for hours, it's time to go. That's it. That's all there is. Thank you for coming by. Thanks to Tom Wilson for coming by. Please come back and see us again. We put a new show up every single Monday. You never know who's going to stop by for a visit. And who knows, maybe to be one of your favorite people. And you don't want to miss that. <laughs>